Welcome to a Pulp Event podcast, brought to you by the Pulpnet, your link to the online world of the pulp magazines for over 25 years. Online at thepulp.net. In this Pulp Event podcast, Jim Beard examines the shadow, multimedia hero. Jim is a freelance writer, editor, and publisher, specializing in adventure fiction in the classic pulp style. This event was recorded on Thursday, August 19, 2021, at Pulpfest 2021 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So, <clears throat> the shadow, multimedia hero. Um, fair warning as we start to uh, go through this. Um, I'm not a shadow scholar, and this is not going to be an exhaustive uh, tour of, of multimedia concerning the shadow, but I am a big fan of the character, and uh, this is hopefully going to be a good overview of the shadow uh, making his way outside of uh, the pulps and the radio uh, show. Um, so the shadow, uh, radio character or pulp character, I wanted to start here because I think it's a really important question. The answer is, as we all know, both. Uh, technically, he began on the radio, or at least as a voice, and then the character was actually grown in the pulps. But I think it's an important place to start because this question, uh, this dual identity that he has really follows through all the way up to the present day, uh, the character, uh, and both aspects, I think, has have informed the character. Uh, in other words, he has always been more than one uh, medium. He began uh, as a combination of pulp and radio and went on to be many more things. Um, funny little story, and I wanted to start this. Uh, the reason that I'm a fan of The Shadow is my dad. Uh, I've known about the shadow my entire life. I can't remember a time that I didn't know about the character. My dad was a, a pulp fan and he was a radio fan. Uh, he bought me a few issues of the DC comics, uh, the shadow, uh, in the seventies, which we'll get into in, in a little bit here. So I, I remember him having, uh, like eight track tapes, uh, I think of the, uh, the shadow, uh, radio drama and we you know we listen to that but i think i knew more the the shadow in print than than anything it took me quite a while to finally realize something that what my dad was a fan of was the radio shadow and it took me a, a while to realize how different the radio shadow was from the the pulp character i became a fan of the pulp character uh, more recently, I became a huge fan of the classic radio channel on Sirius XM, the satellite radio thing, and, and started listening more in depth to the, the radio drama and realized I didn't care for it very much. Um, when I started really getting into the shadow pulps, I got to the point where I learned that the shadow is really Kent Allard, not Lamont Cranston. And one day I mentioned it to my dad, and my dad said, Shadow's Lamont Cranston. I, I don't know what that other thing is. And he goes, he's, he's Lamont Cranston to me. And that's when it really, really hit me that my dad was really a fan of the radio show. Um, and, and that really struck me how two people, father and son, could look at the character in two different ways, but both ways being correct, too. 
Obviously, the radio uh, show began in uh, 1930, the pulp in 1931, and like I said, he was multimedia from the very start. Let's, um, let's stick to print at first and talk about the shadow having life in books, and by that I mean outside of the pulps. Um, Simon & Schuster uh, began reprinting the pulp stories as actual books in 1932, uh, Living Shadow, Eyes of the Shadow. They, they did three of those. Um, I'm a little more concerned about uh, new life for the shadow. So again, outside of the radio and the pulps themselves, he began life in books, but it, there weren't original stories. It was uh, reprints uh, of it. In 1940, he went into not big little books, but if you can see this little uh, circle down at the bottom, it's better little uh, books uh, made by Whitman. There were three of these from 1940 to 1942, and again, they were pretty much based on uh, the pulps. In 1941, the Shadow finally had his first paperback. They were hardcovers until that point. Uh, and that was uh, through L.A. Bantam, 1941, first uh, paperback. And again, it's a reprint. Uh, then, of course, much later on, 1969 and going into the 70s, uh, Bantam came back with the classic paperbacks that hopefully we all know and love today. Then something happened significantly in 1963. A company called Belmont. Uh, started a whole new uh, shadow set of adventures. So for the very first time since the 40s, uh, the shadow finally got original adventures outside of the radio drama and the pulp. The cool thing is, is they got Walter Gibson right off the bat, and he did the very first one called Return of the Shadow. Now there were some things going on in the 60s that really kind of informed these paperbacks, the spy craze, was going on with James Bond. We were starting to get to the point where camp uh, was a big deal, obviously brought on uh, big time with the 1966 Batman TV series, which is near and dear to my heart. Um, Gibson didn't stick around. Uh, an author named Dennis Linz came in and started doing these uh, new novels. Uh, there were several of them, and they went up through 1967, uh, the Shadow became basically a spy master. Uh, he and his operatives were up against a group called Cypher, and that's literally with the periods in between each letter, C period, Y period, and, and so on. Um, and But the interesting thing about this, again, is that the Shadow now looks like the pulp character, but he has the radio show powers to become invisible. So this is a really important thing that happened uh, at, at this point where they started to blend those two things. As we know, the pulp character didn't have the, the ability to cloud men's minds. He didn't really need that. He had two guns that uh, he kept busy, obviously. Uh, let's see, Pyramid and Jove uh, uh, did reprints. They started from the beginning also with The Living Shadow and then went all the way up through 23 volumes to uh, The Death Giver. Um, this cover here on the uh, right side you may find familiar. It's uh, uh, by a magician that many of us are acquainted with. I don't think he's here right now, but probably will be here tomorrow, I assume. Beautiful covers uh, on those books. Now, we're jumping a little bit here. Altus Press 
did two Doc Savage books by our friend Will Murray, uh, where he finally teamed Doc Savage with The Shadow. It was a long time coming. Uh, these are personal favorites of mine. I love these two books very, very much. Will uh, went out of his way to uh, be as accurate to the times. And, and also, I love it because as he goes back and forth from the characters, uh, the Doc re really reads like Lester Dent, and the Shadow stuff really reads like Walter Gibson. So another real landmark uh, for the character at that point. And that takes us up to this. Okay, enough said about that. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, all right, let's jump over to, to comic books now. But what we're really going to start with is a comic strip in the newspaper. Uh, June 1940, uh, the syndicated daily uh, first appeared by the Ledger Syndicate. Uh, you're seeing a, a Sunday uh, example here uh, of the character. And again, it's pretty much the, the pulp character. I don't believe he has the powers in, in this one. It's pretty much the, the full cloak and, and uh, uh, hat and the guns and the rest of it. Um, that was actually written by Gibson, uh, the, the uh, comic strip, and illustrated by a guy named Vernon Green. Uh, that went into 1942, and there were 14 story arcs altogether, and those have been collected both in 88 and 99. So he finally made his leap into actual comic books also in 1940. Uh, Street and Smith, uh, the publishers of The Pulp, uh, did Shadow Comics. Uh, this was uh, the first comic that he uh, appeared in. They even they even took one of the pulp covers and adapted it for uh, the first comic book covers. This is this is really significant. This ran a hundred and one issues, which is pretty darn good. Uh, uh, and then, uh, but in 1941, they started reprinting the comic strips from the newspapers. So it wasn't exactly new stories for the comic books, but really the comic strips being reprinted. All right, we're making another leap here, and that seems to happen a lot with the, the Shadow. He has times of, of very uh, uh, fertile publishing, and then he goes quiet, he goes back into the dark, and then he reappears again. And it's funny because it always seems to jump into the 60s. Um, uh, again, that whole uh, camp sensibility really made all these different publishers start to dig back into things from the uh, 40s because they could present them as they were, but by that point, everybody was looking at them as camp, uh, you know, over the top or whatever, where it maybe wasn't as much of a pot boiler uh, back when they were originally published. Uh, Archie Comics, uh, and we had just heard about Archie Comics. Thank you, Michelle. Um, uh, came out with the second Shadow comic book, just called The Shadow. That was in 1964. There was eight issues. Uh, the first cover, as you can see, he looks pretty normal, meaning it's a cloak and the hat, and he's skulking around. Well, then something really changed. They made him into uh, a superhero on the inside of the book. Uh, he has a green and blue skin-tight costume with the trunks and the boots and the and the cape and the domino mask and all of that. Really, really weird 
translation uh, of the character uh, you know beyond this thing about uh, the radio powers or uh, versus the pulp character uh, but again uh, superheroes were making a big comeback at that point so they thought why not just make the the uh, shadow a traditional superhero DC picked up the ball in 1973 uh, writer Denny O'Neill uh, brought the character back to its pulp roots. And this really was a return to what pulp lovers knew as the shadow. There was no more superheroes. Uh, the stories were set in the 30s. Uh, he did have Margot in there, which, of course, Margot began as a radio character and made her way over into the pulps. He did have Margot in there, I think, because he thought they thought that most people would expect uh, her to be there. But he also did use some of the other operatives uh, from the uh, the pulps. Um, uh, Michael Kaluta uh, was doing the art, and I think at this point, we're like really made a name uh, for himself. Uh, but kind of quickly, it went over to Frank Robbins uh, as the artist, and O'Neill stopped doing it. Michael Uslan came in uh, and wrote a lot of the stories. Um, DC also did uh, another Shadow series from 87 to 89. And that lasted 19 issues. And then another series from 89 to 92 called The Shadow Strikes, which lasted 31 issues. Also in the 70s, at the time that this series was running, there were two crossovers with Batman, uh, which is kind of funny because I, I owned the second one. And because of the newsstand distribution at the time, I never got the first one until just a few years ago uh, when I was an adult. But I can just see my dad you know, looking for to buy comic books for me and spotting the shadow and probably becoming very excited. And, of course, he wanted to buy those for the son. That was probably this book plus those Batman crossovers were probably my first real exposure uh, to to the character, other, th other than my dad playing some of the, the radio dramas on tape. But that was probably all right around the, the same time. There was a lot of has been a lot of shadow in, in comic books. He seems to be, uh, to lend himself to the, to the medium, um, uh, being a very visual character. Uh, Dark Horse picked things up in 1993, um, and they, he, they did three miniseries, 93 to 95, and plus an adaptation of the 1994 film, which we'll get to in a little bit. Dynamite uh, came in in 2012, uh, and did from 2012 to 2015 did a, another book called Just the Shadow, 26 issues, uh, and they very wisely got uh, painter Alex Ross to do covers, and I think this is just as magnificent as any pulp cover from the 30s or 40s, and he is one of those guys that really wants to capture the essence of the character, and I, it, I mean, just looking at that, I, I think Hopefully we can all agree. Dynamite also did six miniseries uh, from 2013 to 2016, and one even with Batman, which was a, a co-publishing venture between DC uh, and Dynamite. You, you were all talking about this before Michelle started her um, uh, uh, talk. Uh, I think I, I came in in the middle of it. You were talking about some of the miniseries and series that Dynamite did. And there was some really good stuff in there. Uh, uh, year, year One uh, was good, and that Margot Lane series I think was very good too. 
but they gave uh, the shadow powers. Uh, he has uh, like psychic abilities. I mean, this is sort of one step past that uh, clouding men's minds thing. Uh, so again, the shadow is growing in a way uh, and taking on new powers, new abilities, but still retaining his pulp look. All right, so let's put print aside and go into film. This is where things get really interesting as far as I'm concerned. So, 1931 and 1932, uh, a company called Brian Foy Productions with uh, Universal Pictures did six shorts. Now, these are not full-length movies, uh, but again, six shorts uh, that were based on the radio shadow, uh, but the early ones where the shadow is pretty much just the narrator. They took the stories uh, from uh, the, the early radio uh, dramas and, and made them into little short movies. Uh, the shadow is pretty much just the narrator in those. Uh, 1937, he gets his first full-length movie, The Shadow Strikes. And if I'm not mistaken, I think those are, we're gonna, they're going to show some of those movies coming up. Great. Um, uh, Grand National made two Shadow movies, 1937, 1938. Uh, the first one with uh, called The Shadow Strikes. There's that title again. That title will follow The Shadow around for quite a while. Comic books, books, movies. And then they made one called International Crime. Uh, the Shadow or Lamont Cranston was played by Lod, Rod LaRoque. But unfortunately, he's only the Shadow in name. Uh, by the time of international crime, uh, there's it's again. I think he's he's uses the shadow more as a code name than anything. He's pretty much just Lamont Cranston solving crimes. Uh, whether or not that interests you or not, you, you know, you may want to watch them just purely as a curiosity uh, to see this part in the shadow's history. Uh, but the stories were, from what I understand, based on the pulps. Nineteen forty. Columbia came out with a chapter play, uh, a serial, Saturday morning serial. Uh, it was 15 chapters, and Victor Jory uh, played the character. And thankfully, we get to back to the pulp image of the character. He's got the hat, he's got the cloak, he's got the mask. Uh, and... Yeah, right, thank you. Yeah, he's got the laugh, too. So maybe... M much more interest <laughs> to, to, to Shadow fans. 19, oh, you know what I meant to say? 1946 Monogram made some, uh, made three what they would call now quickies uh, of the character, and it's Kane Richmond. Uh, he does wear a coat and a mask in that, but it's funny because they're often, and I say funny, haha, they're usually described as comedies. So it's funny, with the Shadow, you. You get a little and they take more, and you get a little and then they take more, and it kind of goes back and forth uh, uh, about how to interpret the shadow uh, in the movies. Uh, oh, the three were called The Shadow Returns, Behind the Mask, and The Missing Lady. And I think some of those are going to be shown too? Yeah? Is that right? All right. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, 1957, uh, Republic tried to make a TV pilot of The Shadow, 
But uh, those were then edited. There was two uh, episodes. Those were edited in, into a movie the next year in 1958 called The Invisible Avenger. I guess they just they didn't have enough confidence in it to call it The uh, Shadow. Uh, and then in 1962, it was reissued as Bourbon Street Shadows, plural, uh, Richard Durr or Dare uh, played the character, and again we're going back to this thing where he has powers uh, that he didn't have in the pulp stories, and he has a kind of a yogi or sensei mentor type of character in these. I won't explain it. I just sit, tell you about it, <laughs> and then we come to, of course, the 1994 film. So love it or hate it. This was the, the Shadow's big chance at a, a big, splashy, modern movie. Um, I won't belabor it too much. Uh, like I said, you can you either love it or hate it. Um, they did try. Uh, I grabbed an image of um, Alec Baldwin looking very, very, very much like the pulp character. Uh, they went so far as to even give him a prosthetic nose to match the uh, pulp character, uh, he's got the uh, the guns and the cloak and the hat and the laugh and all of that. But we quickly learn that, again, this is a shadow with powers. Uh, and interestingly enough, the character in the movie actually starts as a bad guy. He actually starts as a villain and then becomes a hero uh, and goes up against uh, Shiwan Khan in it. Um, it was supposed to be the beginning of a whole franchise, a whole series of movies, and obviously it failed to, to do that. Um, I think if you watch maybe like the first half hour or so of the movie, if you, you like the Pulp Shadow, I think that would be good enough and you wouldn't really have to bother with the, with the rest of the movie. But they kind of tried. Um, again, they tried to meld those two things uh, together uh, like people have been doing for, for decades. Um, there was a lot of merchandising tie-ins. Again, they really thought this was going to be a big deal. And we're going to get into some of those in a little bit, but I want to uh, finish up films by uh, talking really quick about um, uh, director-producer Sam Raimi uh, had announced in 2006 that he was going to be making a Shadow film. And he talked about it on and off for six years up until 2012 when he finally threw in the towel and said it probably wasn't happening. It was supposed to be made through Columbia, and there was a rumor that it was going to have other heroes in it like Doc Savage and The Avenger. But it was supposed to be, I guess, mostly a shadow movie. There's really nothing much that's out there. I don't think any art has ever surfaced from it or script treatments or anything. I think it was pretty much just like a lot of movies where they were just talking about it. Uh, they were having meetings about it, and it never happened. This may be of interest to some of you. I didn't know about this, and when I started researching for this talk, I came across this, and I thought this was really fun. This was actually an LP record in 1968, again, at the height of the camp era. Uh, let's mine uh, these old pulp characters uh, for everything that we can get out of them. Why I think this is really interesting, uh, it was called The Official Adventures of the Shadow, and it had two original stories on it. I think that's very significant. Again, where we're not getting a retread of a pulp story, we're not getting one of the radio dramas just put onto a record, but they were actually new stories. And the really cool thing to me was is they actually got the cast 
for the most part, the cast from the radio show to come on and kind of recreate that same atmosphere, even down to the um, to the same narrator. Uh, Brett Morrison played the shadow. Uh, it's something that if you didn't know about, you might want to hunt up because uh, it's it, I think that's really, really fun. And just another example uh, that the shadow can conquer all uh, media. Let's move on to television. I had mentioned a, a failed uh, television pilot before, uh, but in 1954, they actually filmed a pilot called The Shadow. Uh, he, Once again, he did have powers, and he was played by Tom Helmore. Uh, also, from what I understand, there's not really any costume. There's not really any look in this. He's called The Shadow, and he has some powers, and he goes after criminals. But again, that's the uh, extent of it. Uh, and then that takes us to 1957 when they tried another uh, TV pilot. They did the two episodes, and then those got edited into the feature film Invisible Avenger. That was really the only brush with, the only two brushes with TV had. Here, here's something that's now near and dear to me. We're going to a whole new medium. We're going to go into to toys and toy-like things. Um, this is really fun. In 1940, in the Pulp Magazine, there was a uh, very big uh, production that uh, suggested that it was going to be a shadow Christmas. Um, I don't know about those two things mixing, but, you know, it is what it is. But... There was a lot of really cool things that came out uh, at that point. Uh, there was uh, a hat, cape, and a mask of the shadow. There was stationery, which I guess you could write uh, use invisible ink with. Uh, there was a disguise kit, an official holster set, uh, a thing called the Tecto light and the pencil light, which little uh, pencil flashlight. And then there was a board game too. This is really interesting to me because it really made me wonder how many kids, and I mean like little kids who would have really liked all that stuff, how many of them were actually reading The Shadow Pulp at that time? I think they were probably listening to the radio show more than they were reading the pulps. I'd be kind of surprised if there was a significant amount of, of younger children that were into the pulps. I assume that the thought was at this time that the older kids and the adults who were reading the pulp had younger brothers and they would see these ads in the pulps and think, oh, well, I'll get this stuff for my little brother or maybe my son uh, for Christmas. There were some really, really cool things uh, which are probably worth millions of dollars now. <laughs> I love this 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 image of the kid here in the shit. I mean, this is the first uh, shadow cosplayer, right? Yeah, and, and here's the shadow over here on the left with his guns drawn saying it's going to be a shadow Christmas because it really does say Christmas, doesn't it? <laughs> you would think they would have pushed it, you know, more for Halloween, but... Yeah, isn't it though? <laughs> right, right. In the in the verbiage there, it said something about um, that you'll fool even the people closest to you. I mean, it's like a big rubber, you know, mask kind of thing. I don't know how many kids cried, you know, when their sister said, "Danny, that's just you." 
So we talked about the 1994 movie having a lot of merchandise tie-ins, and one of the biggest uh, parts of that was action figures. Um, the Shadow had never had an action figure or anything like that uh, before 1994. But in 1994, there were uh, nine different action figures released for the movie, five of the Shadow himself and four of Shiwan Khan. Uh, and they were all different sorts of things, um, because we're getting into the era where it's not just good enough to have a Batman figure. You have to have scuba aqua Batman and, and things like that. So there was the same thing with the shadow. There was like, um, transforming Lamont Cranston. Um, there, you know, there was, uh, 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 I don't know, undercover shadow and different, different iterations of, of the shadow. There was also vehicles that you could buy for the action figures. And there were four of those, three different ones for the shadow. And then Shiwan Khan had his own vehicle too. I picked this one cause it actually really is a really cool looking car. Uh, that was the, the Mirage SX 100 that were for the action figures. These are really starting to go for bigger prices now, especially if they're still in the packages. Uh, so failed movie, but, you know, now valuable toys. There were games. Now, we talked about the 1940-1941 board game of The Shadow. It took until 1994 for him to have anything else resembling a game. You would have thought that there might have been a game in the 60s, but as far as I can tell, there wasn't. Um, over on the left is a video game that they made and finished completely for the 1994 movie, and then it was unreleased. Now, years later, it did get leaked, and I think you either, I think maybe you can play it now, but, but people know about it, and have, we can do screen grabs and things like that. We know more about it because somebody leaked it at some point. But they went, they went to the trouble of making an entire video game to tie in with the movie, and then the movie tanked, so they didn't release it at that time. There was also a pinball game, which if you ever get the chance, Google the Shadow 1994 pinball game because the art on the top piece and on the board, too, are, are really beautiful. Uh, they really went out of their way to, uh, to make a really nice game. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Bally, 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 you know, the pinball people. Um, and then this is interesting, too. There was another video game in 1992. There was a video game called Streets of Rage 2, which has a quote-unquote hack that allows you to, to use the shadow in the game. And I hate to say this, I'm not really up on video game terminology, but I assume a hack is something that's not normally part of the game or advertised, but you have to figure out how to bring it into the game. Is that about right? You ha you ha yeah, it's but you hack into it. So I guess the shadow would have been considered a little bonus. I did see a screen grab of it, and he looks like the traditional uh, shadow. So that I mean that's really cool. Again, and I keep saying this through this whole thing, uh, the character has made its way into so many different uh, areas. It's it's really incredible, and because of those things, the the character can live on. <clears throat> James Patterson notwithstanding. Yeah, I'm going to keep harboring uh, 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 on that one. Okay. Oh, okay. Not exactly a toy, but uh, in 1994, but not 
related to the movie, uh, Bowen Graffiti came out with this gorgeous shadow uh, bust. It was limited edition to 2,500 pieces. Uh, When I was looking at images of this thing, I mean, I just sat there and stared at it for a while. It is full-blown pulp shadow. Just a really, really gorgeous uh, piece. And I can only imagine probably goes for big bucks uh, these days. And I don't know if how many people really know about this. In 2012, a company called Go Hero did a really super deluxe 12-inch action figure of the the shadow. And again, the pulp shadow. Um, those were limited to 750 pieces. Yeah, they did, um, they did other characters. They did a really beautiful Buck Rogers. Uh, and I'm trying to think of who else they did. They may have done Doc Savage. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, they did. Um, uh, I came very close to ordering and buying one of those, but... That's cool. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah I, I remember trying to give the uh, um, the head of the company a little bit of a hard time when they were advertising this by saying that wasn't really accurate to have the scarf. I said, it, you know, it should be that his coat, it's his coat that comes up that is his mask. Like, it's this thing about the, 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 uh, the, it's become more traditional to show it as a scarf. But anyway, so anything to give people a hard time. And then we come to our last category, which is premiums. And I separate that from toys uh, because premiums being usually mail-away items. Um, the, basically, there were two premiums. There were two mail-away, uh, and they were both rings. The one uh, on your left is from 1941, uh, put out by DL&W Cole, or Blue Cole, which was the, the advertiser uh, for the shadow. And I... You probably can't see it too clearly, but if you get a chance to take a look at this, or you can go into your own collection and pull out your own and look at it. I love it. It's actually figural. There's an image, a 3D image of the shadow on the side of the ring. Really, really cool. And then this sort of blue stone-looking thing at the top of it. Then, six years later, which I find really incredible that it took six years later to do something else like that, Carrie Salt did the Shadow Magic Ring, uh, and it has a black uh, stone in it. But unfortunately, they just reused the mold that they already had and were using for other character mailways. Jack Armstrong. Jack Armstrong. Wasn't it Buck Rogers, too? And then Buck Rogers. Right, yeah. <laughs> so the Shadow doesn't even deserve his new ring. He has to have a he has to have other characters' ring, but oh well. But it is it is cool uh today. There was also um some um regional premiums, uh like there was a hypno coin, which I know they made um they made reproductions of at, at one point, but if you have you know, have an original one, uh and I think I have an image of, yeah, advertising also in the 1940s. That, that matchbox book is so cool. 
it actually has this little pop-up shadow when you lift the cover on it. That's just gorgeous for, for just a man, you know, something that you basically throw away. You know, that's why these things are so valuable today because you're supposed to use it and throw it away. Who, who saved that kind of thing? And then ink blotters. And I'm going to, I'm looking around the room and I'm assuming everybody in this room knows what an ink blotter is, right? <laughs> okay. We don't have to explain what an ink blotter is. Um, uh, and there were several different ones, uh, uh, ink bladders, and I picked this one because I thought it was really one of the nicer ones. And again, blue coal. I love it how blue coal is as big as the saying the shadow on there. So that is the end of our little journey uh, through the shadow multimedia hero. Thank you. Anybody have? Any questions or or want to say anything? Yes. While you were talking about DC Comics publishing The Shadow, I was surprised you didn't mention that DC also did comic books based on Doc Savage and The Avenger. Yeah. And they even did a miniseries at one point teaming up The Shadow and Doc Savage, which was actually really good. Yeah, that was, um, I think that was by Michael Uslan, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. Yeah, DC did a thing um, in um, called... New wave? First wave, first wave. I think they tried to call it new new wave, or and they went first wave. And again, it's a little bit of controversial. Uh, they they tried to fit Batman into it and and pull up some of these uh, uh, characters. Um, Dark Horse Comics also had a very good uh, three issue miniseries uh, teaming Doc Savage and the Shadow, which I think technically would be the very first teaming of the characters, whereas Will Murray did the first prose teaming of the characters. But um, uh, Dave Stevens of Rocketeer fame did at least the first cover, if not all the covers. Uh, a, a really gorgeous cover for that one. But it, um, if you get a chance, seek, seek that one out too. Um, if you like the Will Murray team-ups, uh, that comic book one is really good. And that was Dark Horse. Uh, if I remember correctly. Shadow also appeared in an issue Yeah, I think, yes, that's right. Yes, thank you for bringing that up. Like I said, this isn't exhaustive because, you know, I mean, after a while, my eyes started crossed with all the different ways we could go. But Oh, okay, yeah, the, the, female, the female character, the ghost? Yeah. Good, good, good team-up idea. Anybody else? Yes. Yeah. upon something I think is really important is is that all of these different things the multimedia uh, experience helped bring the shadow to lots of people that maybe normally wouldn't and and I'm one of those people you know I I had the comic books uh, you know my dad told me about the old days but I was experiencing actually brand new shadow 
uh, material when I was a kid. And that's what I really love about it. I mean, you may not always like the way he's interpreted, but at least the name and the basic uh, concept was it was getting out there. And it's the same with the 1994 movie. With all that merchandise out there and the name was out there, and for the most part the image was you know pretty accurate to the pulps. And, and Love or Hate the movie, at least to me, it, it got out there. And that's why uh, it's important uh, in the grand scheme of things. Anybody else before we wrap this up? I hope you enjoyed this little journey and thank you very much for sitting here and listening to me. Thanks. You've been listening to a Pulp Event podcast brought to you by the PulpNet, your link to the online world of the pulp magazines for over 25 years. Please visit us online at thepulp.net. Also, look for the PulpNet on Facebook and on Twitter. Thank you for listening, and keep reading the pulps. The Pulp Event Podcast is copyright 2021.